So this past year, as in most years, unfortunately, hundreds of thousands of acres uh, are subjected to forest fires, especially on the West Coast. And when you hear this in the news and you watch the devastation and you see people uh, losing houses or being displaced, uh, that of course is heavy and hard uh, to watch. But the amazing thing is, is year after year with all of the forest fires, the truth of the matter is, is that fire doesn't get the last word. Uh, it's not sort of the end of the story. And that crazy enough that built into creation itself by God is the ability of these forests to regenerate, to regrow, to be restored and renewed. It's a sign and a symbol that one, God has built into creation this restorative, creative, life-giving power. But it's also a sign and a symbol that this is God's plan. God's plan is for restoration. God's plan is for growth. God's plan is for flourishing and life. The problem is that sin is like a forest fire. It leaves absolute devastation and death and destruction in its path. But God's grace is such that he refuses to allow sin to have the last word. And this morning we want to talk together about God's plan to restore and renew all things and specifically about what God has for us in that plan. It turns out that God's promise to restore and renew is specifically tied to a prophecy about Jesus, one that is often overlooked. And so this morning we want to spend some time understanding what it is God said would happen through Jesus and how you and I are to be a part of that with him. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2 is page 784 in the church Bibles. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And we looked at this section last week, but we need to go back through this final prophecy in Matthew 2 one more time uh, because there's more riches to be ex learned and experienced by seeing what God has in this passage for us. Let me just remind us where we are in the story of Matthew. The first two chapters of Matthew's gospel are the prelude. We find out about Jesus' birth. Uh, we find out about his uh, early years, the genealogy of who Jesus is related to. But all of this is prelude. Next week, we get to John the Baptist, and uh, the story of Jesus and the introduction of Jesus begins his adult ministry in sort of full force, which makes this prophecy that we're going to look at this morning kind of the last closing statement of the introduction or the prelude before Jesus comes on the scene as an adult carrying out the plans that God the Father has for him. So we looked at this passage last week, but let's hear it again this week. Verses 19 to 23 of Matthew chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And then here's the phrase we're going to focus on this morning. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, Nazarene is a word that we call a gentilic. It means that it's an adjective that comes from a place. So when we say that someone is an Angelino, we mean they're from Los Angeles. When we say someone is a Spaniard, we mean they are from the country of Spain. So to call Jesus a Nazarene means he's from the town of Nazareth. But I think there's more going on here than just simply informing us where is Jesus from. I know that because of what Matthew doesn't say and because of what Matthew says. Let's start with what he doesn't say. Notice he says that it was fulfilled through the prophets, but he doesn't tell us what Old Testament prophecy he's talking about. That's actually strange. If you just glance at the pages that we're on, you'll see a number of indented texts. Chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3. There's more on the next page. These are all Old Testament prophecies. And usually when there is an Old Testament prophecy, Matthew cites it. He gives you the quote and says, this is what the Old Testament said. This is how it's being fulfilled in Jesus. But with this, he doesn't. There is no Old Testament prophecy that is cited in verse 23. The other thing that Matthew doesn't say is he doesn't say so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would grow up in a town called Nazareth. That's not what Matthew writes. What Matthew writes is that he would be called a Nazarene. That he would be called a Nazarene. Have you ever seen this map? I found this uh, online this week. It's a map of the literal translation of country names. And what someone has gone through and done is figured out, okay, what do these countries' names actually mean in the languages that they come from? I know you can't read it all currently, uh, but you might be able to look at it later. There's another map which is like this, which does the same thing with cities, certain cities from particular countries, and it reminds us that uh, people don't just name things randomly, that there's often meaning behind those names. So on one hand, yes, the word Angelino means that someone is from Los Angeles, but it also means they're from the city of angels because that's what Los Angeles means. It means angels. To say someone is from Spain, can you put that last one back up there? I know we have to kind of go back in the slide. You might be able to see that. You can kind of see Spain there in the middle of Europe. To say someone is a Spaniard, I didn't know this until this week, is to say they are from the land of many rabbits. <laughs> Apparently that's what the word Spain means. Well, this is a recognition that places, place names have meanings. So when we go back to what Matthew says, he says that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Well, if he said he would be called an Angelino, we might be thinking he's saying something about him being an angel. If we say that he was called a Spaniard, we may think it has something to do with him being from a land of many rabbits. When he says Jesus would be called a Nazarene, I think he's focusing less on the town he grows up in and more on the meaning of the name of the town he grows up in, which literally Matthew could have written that he would be called the branch because that is literally what Nazareth means. It comes from the Hebrew word netzer, which means branch. And Matthew is less focused on the name of the town that he's from and more focused on what the name of the town means. It means that he would be called the branch. And the reason why Matthew does not quote one Old Testament prophecy about Jesus being the branch is because there are many Old Testament prophecies about Jesus being the branch. That's why he says what was said through the prophets, plural. So to understand what Matthew is saying, because it's actually a big deal that Jesus is the branch, we want to look at two of the Old Testament prophecies that are most important for understanding who it is that Jesus is. So I'd like you to take your Bible, if you're willing, and turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Isaiah 11, we're going to look at the first of the two prophecies in Isaiah 11. It's page 562 in the church Bibles. If you don't have a church Bible, Isaiah is kind of a big book, and so if you just flip some pages, chances are you might end up in Isaiah. Probably Psalms, maybe Isaiah, maybe Jeremiah. But you're looking for Isaiah. Uh, it's kind of this far in. <laughs> Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, and here's our word, a branch a netzer will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In this passage, God is beginning to lay out a two-step plan for how he will restore and renew all things. Do you see this phrase in here, the stump of Jesse? What this is a reference to is Jesse is King David's father. And the idea here is, is that the Davidic line, King David's descendants, are like a tree that God has chopped to the ground. All that remains is a stump. Now the powerful thing about stumps is, is that most kinds of trees, if left alone, will actually regrow themselves. This is why when it talks about a shoot, 
It's like you see in the picture that a tree stump will have shoots coming out of it. Those shoots will become branches. Those branches will become a regrown tree. And what God is acknowledging is because of the sin of the descendants of David, God was forced to chop down the Davidic tree. The kingship from which God was going to keep all of his promises, he cut the tree to the ground. But then he made this promise. That out of that seemingly dead stump, a shoot's going to appear. A branch. And a new tree is going to regrow. Now the reason why that happens, not just for miraculous trees, but many different kinds of trees, is because God baked this into creation. The reason why, unless you try to stop it, the tree will regrow is because there's life in the roots. The roots are still alive. And the point is, is God made some promises, a specific promise to a man named Abraham a long time before David that is unconditional. That God, through Abraham, would bring a descendant and bless all the peoples on earth. And although the Davidic tree was unfaithful and God cut it down, there's still life in those Abrahamic roots. And so God made a promise all the way back in Genesis, and Isaiah 11.1 is him continuing to fulfill that promise, even amidst the unfaithfulness and the sin of the Davidic line. And so God says, you're going to have a stump, but that stump is going to bring life. And that life is the person of Jesus. He is the branch that will spring up from the line of David full of the Holy Spirit and bringing the long-promised, hoped-for life and salvation that was inherent in the roots when God made that promise. So the first step for how is God going to restore and renew all things? We look around and we see a world that appears, metaphorically speaking, to have been burned to the ground. That there is ashes and difficulty and trouble everywhere. Isaiah 11.1 says God's going to bring a branch and that branch will bring life and restoration and renewal. The second prophecy we need to look at regarding Jesus is in Isaiah 61 about this idea of branch. Isaiah 61, so still the same book. Turn over to page 607. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear the language of restoration and renewal? Do you hear the idea that in a world that is full of poverty, a world that is full of slavery and injustice, a world that is full of brokenheartedness, a world that is full of prisoners and difficulty, that God is bringing new life. New life to a person who has 
languished away in a prison for years, God brings new life. To a person who's experienced brokenheartedness, God brings restoration and renewal and restores those wounds. To a person who has suffered under the ravages of poverty, God is bringing grace and provision, giving generously to those who are in need. It's the language of restoration and renewal. Verse two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Do you hear the language of restoration and renewal? The forest fire of sin having swept through the land and ashes being what remain, but now instead a beautiful forest the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is what we saw in Isaiah 11, is that the first step in God's process of restoring and renewing all things is he is going to bring the branch, capital B, which is Jesus, out of the stump of David, and he's through Jesus going to bring salvation and rescue and restoration, and those who mourn will be comforted, and those who grieve will have their hearts turned to joy, and those who have suffered poverty and slavery, those who've experienced racism, those who have gone through injustice, those who have experienced the difficulties of broken relationships and broken hearts, that through Jesus, God will bring new life. Amen. That's step one. But now watch what happens in Isaiah 61. We're in the middle of verse three. We're talking about the poor, the captives, the prisoners, those who mourn, those who suffer. Look what it says. They will be called what? Oaks of righteousness. Wait, they, who? Us, the prisoners, the captives, the brokenhearted. They will be called that. A planting. Now, if you're not using a church Bible and you want to mark in your Bible, circle that word, underline that word. This is an important word. The word planting is the word branch. It's the Hebrew word netzer. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Do you hear the second step in God's process for bringing restoration and renewal to all things? It's us. That Jesus the branch springs up out of David's dead stump, seemingly dead stump, but it's not enough. Look, if a forest burns down, you don't want to just grow one tree again. Amen. You want to grow the entire forest. You want all of the trees. You want all of the bushes, all of the undergrowth. What Isaiah 61 is picturing is after the ravages of sin and the ashes are everywhere, God causes the branch, capital B, Jesus, to come out of the stump of David and that branch rescues people like you and me and makes us into oaks of righteousness. 
and we branch out from that tree and go and restore ruined places. God's plan for restoration and renewal is Jesus and us. That Jesus comes and saves us and then we branch out and bring the good news of his salvation and his blessing all over the forest until there's new life, restoration, recreation, and renewal. Now, how does this happen, practically? There's two keys to how it happens. One you're going to like, one you might not. Let's start with the one you're going to like. How does it happen? Through the Holy Spirit. Did you hear in Isaiah 11.1, 1, the Spirit would be upon Jesus. The Spirit is the one who enables Jesus to carry out being the branch. Do you hear in Isaiah 61, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is the one who is making this happen. What we're going to get to in Matthew chapter 3 is that Jesus is going to be baptized and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon him and he's going to do the restoration and renewal work by the power of the Spirit. The good news is, look, if you've got a tree trunk that is going to regrow, you got to work to stop it. The people who don't want trunks or trees to regrow, they got to put in all sorts of herbicides and other things to try to kill that stump. You got to grind the thing out. You got to dig it out of the ground. It is inherent in those certain kinds of trees that they will regrow. So it is with the Spirit. You and I would have to actively stop the Holy Spirit from doing his work because when we trust Jesus by faith, God gives us his spirit and his spirit turns us from ashes and dust into oaks of righteousness. Now we know trees don't grow overnight, right? It takes years, but the spirit is at work. And as he is at work, he's bringing life and through this life, he is spreading goodness and life everywhere. So the first key to the process is one you and I don't have to worry about. It's on the Holy Spirit, not on us. It's not you or I that have to make the growth happen. He makes it happen. We just got to not stop him. We got to not quench him. We got to not allow there to be so much sin in our life that he's unable to work. But absent that, the promise is the Holy Spirit's going to bring this about. This is God's plan. The life from those roots through the Spirit is going to come into us. And that life through Jesus is going to bear fruit. So the first key is the Holy Spirit. It's not on you. It's not on me. It's on him. God says, the work that I began, I will see to completion. Now, the second key to this happening is one you might not like. And the reason why I think you might not like it is the first people who heard this key didn't like it at all. What I mean is, when I read the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, some of you are going to say, that sounds really familiar. I've heard that somewhere before and I don't think it was in Isaiah. The reason it might sound familiar is this is the text of one of Jesus' first sermons he ever preaches. And I'm going to give you one guess as to what town he's in when he preaches the sermon. Nazareth. 
Early on in his ministry, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and he picks this passage. Do you think that is an accident? He goes to the town named The Branch and he turns to Isaiah 61 in the scroll and he reads this passage about restoration and renewal and then he rolls back up the scroll and he says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they love it. They're standing and cheering. They're getting amens. It's all, they, it's fantastic. Because Jesus is essentially saying, look, after all these years of decay and destruction and death and ashes, now finally God's going to bring to pass his plan to restore and renew all things. And the people in Nazareth, they can't stop cheering. And they're like, this guy is fantastic. Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill that promise. And they're like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then he moves to the second part of the sermon. This second key to carrying this all out. And he tells them a story and he says, hey, you remember? Remember Elijah? Remember how during the time of famine, Elijah went to help a widow? But it wasn't a Jewish widow. It was a Gentile widow living in Sidon. And there were lots of widows in Israel at the time, but Elijah didn't go to any of them. He branched out and went to a person who wasn't even Jewish. Well, I don't like that so much. Then he tells him a second story. He's like, and remember the time of Elisha? When there were lots and lots of people who had leprosy during the times of Elisha? But God didn't send Elisha to heal any of them. Instead, he sent him to Naaman the Syrian. These are the people who were oppressing Israel at the time. These were their sworn enemies. And Jesus said, remember how God sent Elisha to your enemies to show them love and branching out? Well, they don't like this at all. In fact, there's no more amens. There's like, we got to kill that guy. It's always a word of warning to preachers. You never know how it's going to turn out. So they so hate this idea that they take him to the edge of the city, they want to throw him off a cliff and kill him. That's why I said you might not like this second part. Because the second key in order for this to happen is that you and I have to be willing to branch out. We have to be willing to go to people who are not like us, to go to places we are not familiar with. We have to be willing. If the forest is going to spread beyond where the tree is, we are going to have to be willing to go wherever the Spirit sends us. Some of us are going to have to be willing to go be Christians in non-Christian schools because how else will there be restoration and renewal unless we do that? Some of us will have to be sent as spirit-filled Christians in dead Christian schools because God wants to bring restoration and renewal there. Some of us are going to maybe have to move to different town. Some of us may have to be part of a church plant that God is planning to do or go be part of another church as much as we don't want you to leave here, but God may have you go somewhere else because he's not interested in one little tiny tree here. He wants a forest that fills the whole earth. 
Some of us may be asked by the Spirit to stop hanging out with all the people who think exactly the way we do about politics and about business and about all of those things and start spending some time befriending those that we thought were our political enemies. That in order for God to accomplish his plan, he may need some of us to branch out at work or in our neighborhood to start evangelistic Bible studies. In order for this plan to work, it is not enough for Jesus to be the branch. We have to branch out as well. Amen. I mean, who doesn't love the good news that Jesus is the branch? Amen. The second part, though, is as an order for God's plan to come to fruition, we're going to have to do what Jesus did, which is leave, he left the comforts of heaven and branched out to us. We're going to have to leave the comforts of where we live, where we reside, the people we hang out with. Some of us in West Michigan, we might not have nice, neat, close, tight families, but you're not going to repopulate a forest if everybody hangs out in their family. Some of us are going to be called to be, okay, we have to spend a little less time in order that we can spend time with those who don't know Jesus. Some of us may have lots of friends at school, but the force is not going to spread unless we choose to leave some of those friendships and spend some time with people who don't have any friends. Some of us may spend lots of time with people who think and talk and act exactly the way we do. But God's plan is not for us to kind of hang out in this enclave with people who think and talk and act like we do. God's plan is for us to branch out. To be with people who are different than we are from a different ethnic background, a different racial background, a different gender, different age, different experiences, different outlook, different socioeconomic class. God's plan is to bring restoral, restore, restoration and renewal to all things, to all people in all places, to prisoners, to captives, to the brokenhearted. Some of us may need to branch out and be part of the prison ministry here at Calvary Church or branch out and be part of the refugee ministry at Calvary Church or branch out and be part of a different, something different than we've done in the past. This is God's plan. Now, I told you that the people in Nazareth didn't like this plan. But God's will is not going to be foiled by people saying no to the plan. I know that we're in, Ma in Matthew's gospel, <clears throat> but also that some of you here in Monday night Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study, or Tuesday, night Bible, Tuesday morning Bible study are studying the book of Acts. And Acts is uniquely connected to Luke's gospel because Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. And interestingly, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' public ministry, opens with this sermon from Isaiah 61 in the town of Nazareth. Jesus goes to the town named the branch and tells them he's the branch, yay. Tells them they have to branch out, no. And then we find, okay, we got some work to do. But the interesting thing is Luke writes these two books. He's got the Gospel of Luke, and then he's also got the Acts of the Apostles. And near the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we've got a bunch of people that don't want to branch out. But then we get to the end of the book of Acts, and we find that among others, this is a man named Paul, who was very, very Jewish. 
But God called him in his salvation that after Paul experienced for himself the grace of God in the midst of the ravages of his own sin, God then called him to branch out and go not just to Jewish people but also to Gentiles, not just where he's from but sort of all over the world and take the gospel everywhere so that it might flourish and have life. When he did that, he found that some of those same Jewish people who didn't like what Jesus said back in Nazareth wanted to stop Paul from doing what Jesus did and they put him on trial. Now, what's so fascinating is watch what they accuse him of in Acts chapter 24. We have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the what? The Nazarene sect. Do you know that the earlier, earliest followers of Jesus were sometimes called Christians after the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, do you know they were also sometimes called Nazarenes? Because Jesus of Nazareth is the branch. And that the early Christians recognized the fact that Jesus as the branch means they were called to branch out and do what the Apostle Paul did. So here's my assignment for you this week. Matthew makes a big deal out of the fact that Jesus is the branch. There are lots and lots of Old Testament prophecies. This is how God is going to bring restoration and renewal, not just in your life, but in the world. First he brings you Jesus, and then through Jesus asks you to branch out and take Jesus everywhere you can. So here's your assignment for this week. As you think through and pray through Jesus the Nazarene and you and I being called Nazarenes with Jesus, how might Jesus be asking you to branch out? What is it that he's asking you to do? Are there people in your neighborhood that he's prompting you to start an evangelistic Bible study with? Is he asking you to move to another place? Is there a church plant he might be planning that he's going to ask you to branch out and be part of? Is there a new ministry that you've recently been requested that you be a part of that you think, well, I can't do that. That's way out of my comfort zone. Well, that would be you branching out. Is there somebody at your school that you're like, man, they desperately need a friend. I should be their friend. How might Jesus be asking you, each one of us, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. How might he be asking us to branch out of places and people that we're comfortable with so that the good news of what he's doing might spread? Matthew says, and so was fulfilled through the prophets that he would be called the branch. This is good news. The forest burned to the ground because of sin. But God will not let sin have the last word. And so he brought this world, Jesus, the branch. And through him, he is growing an amazing, mighty, wonderful tree that will fill the entire forest with life and restoration and renewal. And we are called to take our previous status as slaves, as captives, as brokenhearted, as poor, as all of those things, and let the Spirit transform us into oaks of righteousness branching out wherever God may replant us 
so that the good news of Jesus can be a blessing not just to us, but to the whole world. Think about this week how you might be called to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we started the sermon by saying thank you. Thank you for your death and resurrection that we celebrated during communion. Thank you also, Jesus, for branching out from heaven to us. I'm sure in heaven, in the new earth, there are beautiful trees beyond anything we could ever hope for or imagine to see here. But you did not stay among that beautiful forest. You came to this burned out one. You came to a people who had been destroyed and devastated by sin. Thank you for branching out to us. Jesus, may we know the joy of following in your footsteps. May you make us oaks of righteousness wherever you plant us. May we bloom like plants in the desert with streams of living water giving us life. And may we take the good news of who you are in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our culture, in this world. And may you bring, through you, Jesus, restoration and renewal to all things. Behold, you tell us, I make all things new. Thank you. Amen.